0: Welcome to the Coach and Kernan Show, episode six with our panel of resident experts today. It's June 14th. Good morning, gentlemen. We're off to an explosive start following our Jeff Fry interview yesterday with She Gone Nation, founder of She Gone Nation, former MLB second baseman. Put our episodes off the chart. Our listeners are exploding, so they're ready to listen to more today. I'm going to keep the intro short today so we can get right down to business. We're very fortunate to have our veteran scout of 45-plus years in Major League Baseball as a player, a scout, an evaluator, and a coach. He's a part of our Coaching Kern and Kernan Witness Protection Program, so we refer to him as Bull on the show. Uh, he's back along with, with our innovative, the most innovative performance coach in the United States of America. So he's starting to pick up some tracking with our listeners, too, calling him for client base, Coach Sal Marinello. Sal, welcome back as well. And Thanks. Of course, I'm you. your co. All oh, glad to have you. I'm your co-host Dave D'Agostino, former college head coach, former professional player, and I'm joined by my better half and co-host, Hall of Famer, 47-year veteran of the New York Post, Ball Nine writer, two great stories a week, Kevin Kernan. Guys, welcome back. Glad to have you. The boys are back in town here today.
1: Great to be back.
0: Yeah. So our our, lit- our listenership is hot right now. Close to 600 emails following our last show. So. Listeners, keep it coming. It fuels our show. This show is for you, not for us. We had a separate 200 emails that's not in that count prior to Jeff Fry's interview yesterday before he said a single word with one tweet, 200 emails asking questions about him. So we'll follow up on those as well. Want a special thank you to our sponsor, One on One. Follow him on Twitter, at One on One, Your Shot on One, or Instagram, at One on One, Your Shot in Your Terms. Together, we're helping educate families on the college sports recruiting process They said they'll hit 550 scholarships as of next week, scholarships in women's basketball, men's basketball, baseball, and softball in the last 24 months. Audience, you know we're here to build a better baseball IQ. Save a lost generation of baseball player and fans one person at a time. Sit back and relax and enjoy this baseball experience through our baseball experiences. Gentlemen, let's start with our mailbag. That's our listeners. And, of course, they came out guns blazing this week. So in honor of Jeff Fry and his fantastic interview yesterday, um, we're going to pick – we picked an audience member and a listener from each of his major league stops. So we have one from Texas, one from Mass with the Red Sox, one from Colorado, and then one from Toronto. So we're ready to rock and roll? Okay. Fire Kevin, away. Kevin, we'll with, we're going to start with you today, Kevin. Um, Ron from Texas asked with the reduction of minor league baseball clubs by major league baseball, it's been. It's going to be horrific with player development. Can you please up us, update us on the current state of the independent leagues?
2: Yeah,
3: that's 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 a good one, and it's a two-way street, really, because some some independent leagues have have um, have got veteran managers like Jim Riggleman, uh, coaches like Dan Radisson. That's out in the Pioneer League, out in Montana, and so those players are learning some things. Um, but what, what's happening across the board is, you know, the the, the quality of talent guys aren't Jeff Fry was a 30 round draft pick. I, I wouldn't think Jeff Fry would have a chance to survive in this environment simply because they cut the draft back. They've done all kinds of things and, and they don't know how to develop as develop as well as they used to. One small point too. I, I, I didn't even think about this, but Dan Radisson, uh, you know, he's the longtime coach manager in, a, in the Cardinals organization. These guys all grew up in the Cardinals organization. He put, he, he mentioned today that, uh, Their bus, they had to stop at 4 a.m. for gas and it was $1,000 to fill up the gas tank of the uh, bus and they still had two hours to go. So beyond everything else that's going on that's making it harder to develop players, you now have what's going on in America with the crazy gas prices and, and, uh, you know, everybody's getting hurt in the pocketbook because of that. Well, even these, imagine these independent minor league teams, what's going on, you know? So, so... It's, it's almost like it's making life difficult. That's, that's where we are in baseball. And it, the players have to be emotionally strong. They have to learn some fundamentals. They have to really develop. The problem I see it, though, is the people in charge uh, don't, don't see what's really going on, and they're only making it worse. There was also a little story in The Athletic today about, um, about major league teams now finding being fined by MLB because their minor league teams get in brawls. So, again, anything major league touches sometimes, you know, they may go in with the right intentions, but bad things happen. And they're playing these schedules now, and I think uh, Bull can address this at some point today, but they're playing these schedules where you face the same team for a bunch of days in a row, and you know how that goes. All you guys have played competitive sports. You see the same team five days in a row or something. Somebody gets hit by a pitch, they get hit by a pitch. Before you know it, you have trouble. So so there's all kinds of things going on in, in minor league ball. My advice is go out, enjoy a game, uh, and maybe you'll see some talent, and maybe you'll see some talent that hasn't been infected by the nerd yet.
0: Bull, how important is the independent leagues to as a potential feeder system to minor league baseball now and parent clubs um, that, that own minor league team?
1: It's, it's really become a, a vital part of it. They've cut the draft down in 2020. We only had 10 rounds. We only had 20 rounds. And I think we're going to stay at 20. And I've, I've heard rumors that they may want to go as low as 10 rounds and maybe cut back more. So uh, players need to play to get better. Uh, when you cut back teams, you have rosters with too many players on them. Um, I you know, go out and see a team, and there's 30 players listed on the roster. And 30 players in six games a week, uh, only nine guys can play at a time. It, it just doesn't add up. Pitchers are throwing an inning or two a week. That's not player development. Um, guys aren't getting to play enough. Uh, the, the independent leagues are a great way for uh, – I wish we would – uh Co-op and join with the independent leagues and possibly uh, loan players out there so that they can go play and not sit and play one day a week or throw an inning a week.
3: Yeah, and yet, let me interject, I'm uh, actually a it, product of that. Yeah, there you go. And and let me interject that you throw out the you know these guys the way you're throwing in there, and and the, the amount of innings you're throwing even if they're a starter they're still getting hurt left and right. You know, and we, we, this week was a, uh, a, a tremendous amount of injuries in baseball. So it's, the whole thing is just, it's not, it's not done correctly. That's really a, a nutshell.
1: No, you need to ask some questions and find out, you know, why, uh, you know, you, w- what's the old saying? The definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing. That's not working. And I think we're at that point now with the injuries and we need to change what we're doing.
0: Sal, you got got something you wanted to add to this?
1: Well, yeah, you know, you look at, and
2: and again, I'm trying to tie it back into the injuries. When you look at these horrendous signings that these teams make disregarding the injury histories of some of these older players – um, and I'm not picking on the guy. It's not his fault. But a guy like Steven Strasberg, who just signed that massive contract, I, I believe I read he's, he's had a handful of starts since he signed that contract. One year of what they're on the hook for, I believe is $36 million, could probably go a long way to uh, developing their younger talent. And Bull could probably speak better to that. But that's what I'm thinking. Every time I see that, I'm thinking, you know, you're throwing money at these guys when you know they're going to break down or be less than effective, and that's killing you on the on the front side.
1: So – You could probably fund two minor league teams with $36 million. Yes, yeah. there so, you go.
0: There you go. Several bus rides too, right, based on
2: that stat Kevin gave that's us $1,000. Thousand. Yeah,
3: you got a few tanks of gas with that one.
2: Yeah. For a while. Well, real quick, that With goes that, into a, you know the, it goes into a, a a problem I've heard discussed at the the high level college uh, program level where they won't hire um, experienced people to handle their strength and conditioning at the expense of the injuries that they get. And then I heard a uh, athletic director at one of uh, the largest D one colleges in the country say for what they would be able to spend, what they could spend on one high-level professional with experience to come in would save them massively uh, on an ACL. An ACL surgery to a, an athletic department costs well in the excess of $100,000 per. So think about that spread out over all the injuries in one department, and you can see how you know they're being penny-wise and pound-foolish.
1: Sal, just to add to that in professional baseball – not only the cost of the surgeries and the rehabs, but uh, when that player gets hurt, they're eligible for workman's compensation, and the, the 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 owners are on the hook for the workman's comp. That is one of the one of the reasons that um, that they've become so restrictive in trying to control injuries and play God, and it, and it really hasn't worked.
2: Yep.
0: I'm going to bring it back to Kevin's original point too with the independent leagues. I I, I mentioned quickly, I'm a product of that. I I did not get drafted and my God bless my grandmother when I told her I didn't get drafted, but I got signed after the draft. She said, well, they probably just missed you. And I said for 52 rounds, grandma, I don't know if they missed me for 52 rounds, but um, not for the independent leagues. I wouldn't have had an opportunity to play like I played. So three years and bull. your point where they, at that time, back in the mid-90s, they would loan players out, they would co-op teams, and it was much more conducive to creating opportunities for players to play. And honestly, without that, a, a small college Northeastern player like myself probably would have not had an opportunity to play. So I, I hope they really bolster that up uh, quite yeah. a bit because I agree with you. I think it's, it does help. Um, leagues like the, the Northeast League, the Northern League, the Frontier League, yeah. Um, I got a chance to play in all those, and it was phenomenal. I, 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 you know, those are those were great leagues, great players. Um, right. I, I'm thankful for that. So we'll, we'll transition to Sal, to you right now, with, with our next question. This is Lawson from Colorado. So, again, we're hitting different Jeff Fry locations that he played professional baseball in the majors. This revolves around travel tournaments. So Lawson from Colorado asks, my children – play in travel tournaments it seems like every weekend they're playing six to eight games a weekend my children, my kids are 12 11 and 10 so that's 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 a young age for them playing at two questions for you sal one is how is that healthy for my kids and number two it's a food question how do i hydrate and feed my kids before during and after those to maintain you know proper health during during those games six to eight games a weekend so that's lawson from
2: colorado uh, so first of all, that's a that's a, a question that could be applied or could be asked of a lot of the club sports. Uh, I'm familiar with it from basketball, baseball, lacrosse, and soccer firsthand, either clients or my own kids. At some point, and we're getting to that point, parents are going to just have to say no. Uh, I'm involved with a, a low-level club, or I shouldn't say low-level, a startup club that we are not going to have these tournaments at the lower levels. There there is a a progression of how much athletes at those young developmental age, how much time they should be be spending in competition. And for your your three boys, uh, those tournaments are violating all of the guidelines that are pretty much established for how much competition uh, athletes of that age should get. So it's a hard thing to do, but at some point you're going to have to say, my kids are not going to do that. Uh, again, going into the club I'm involved with, we're, we're, we're going to do that even with some older players and target what they do rather than just throw out this net. And that's what these clubs are doing. They're just making money off of you and your children. You have to take control. It's very difficult to do. Um, but that's really where we are. These clubs are taking over. Uh, that's, and I'll say it flat out, that's not good for your kids. It's not good for any kids, and it doesn't matter the sport. Uh, and parents have to kind of take back the control of this and don't buy into the nonsense. If your kid's good, they'll be good. Missing a tournament as a 10, 11, or 12-year-old is not going to set them back on any kind of a career path, believe me. If anything, it's going to hurt. Uh, as far as the nutrition and the hydration goes, one of the big things that people at all levels miss is that your uh, food is 80% water uh, for the most part? So if you're not eating properly, you're going to be hydrated. You're uh, dehydrated. You're never going to be able to drink enough to make up for that deficit that will exist if you are not eating. Uh, protein is the key in all of these uh, fueling questions. You could read the websites for companies that have skin in the game and want you to drink sugar or carbohydrates it's all nonsense the sport drink industry is based on the fallacy that sports drinks are better than water and that uh, somehow they have this uh, miraculous property that is not true so you have to have good old-fashioned food um and obviously to your kids ability to tolerate it. you obviously you're not going to go out and have them have a big omelet and bacon and then go out a half hour later, later later and play a game. But there are viable and responsible supplemental choices you could make with protein powders and certain uh, meal replacement bars that can help you fill the gap. So it's a combination of good eating all week combined with having the ability to to, quote, snack or provide these alternative methods of good food during these crazy tournament uh, uh, circumstances.
3: Let me interject here. So I was just out of tournament uh, a couple of weeks ago. And again, I don't think there's anything wrong with an occasional tournament, but when you, if you get on that tournament track all the time, especially if you're a young player, when are you going to learn to get better? Where are you going to work on some fundamentals? But the other thing I want to say is um, uh, my grandson loved cheeseburgers between games. <laughs> you know? That's protein in my book, uh, you know, and, and, uh, not even between games but after like maybe a game and then uh, a 3 hour wait or something like that so so a lot of these places uh, you know i'm a meat guy that's all i got to say and, and uh, yeah I, and that and you know what I'm, I'm seeing more and more kids eating less meat and it's uh, it, to me it's a little little scary i like well, seeing the meat problem
2: meat. is we get these uh, i would get the notifications from our club about the stuff to have as snacks and it was all garbage it was all mini muffins and mini donuts and pretzels and Chips and fruit juices. I mean, that's uh, uh, oranges. They're still serving oranges at these or providing oranges for kids. That's the worst possible uh, a substance or su- thing that a kid could ingest. And again, Kevin, you can't fix on a weekend what you're not doing during the week. So, you know, the eating habits in general stink. So they're not going to get better on a weekend when you're cramming all this competition into 48 hours. Yeah. Ball, so, go ahead. You had
1: something you wanted. I had a question. Um, I've read some articles. Coconut water is real good for hydration.
2: That uh, I think coconut- that's all marketing. There, there's, it's all marketing. Uh, you it, know. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if you go back and read the research that was done by Gatorade, their hook that water uh, that Gatorade was better than water was based on the fact that given a choice, kids would drink the Gatorade over water. So therefore. Water was better when, when you looked at the reality that research was done. When you drink water to, to service your thirst, you're, you'll never be dehydrated. And the heat. And by the way, the dehydration myth, for the most part, uh, the, the dehydration is a myth for the most part. Most elite athletes function at a high level in a relative state of dehydration. Uh, marathon runners come to mind, uh, as do other distance runners. So there's a certain amount of dehydration that's going to be necessary or, you know, that's going to happen. I, uh, our-
0: I've got a stat for you, Sal. I got this actually this morning from a, a friend with the USA today. He said that participation in baseball at the youth level is down right now significantly, but the industry, this tournament industry is booming right now in terms of the money. And the point being is that these tournaments are our young people right out of the game right now. And that's, that's terrible. Uh, the question I had for you is I think we, we were going back and forth on text or Twitter about this. College World Series, I saw tons of guys eating bananas. What's your thoughts on that?
2: Bananas are great because it's potassium. But again, you know, not to be a, a food zealot, but you could supplement <laughs> potassium and you could get potassium from other sources that are better than bananas without all that sugar. Bananas definitely are highest in sugar. And the concept that the sugar in fruit is somehow better than table sugar or other forms of sugar is also just not true. So you, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're conditioning the body to require that, that jolt of sugar and your body has to deal with it over time. And it, it ultimately is not the best option. Well,
3: I want to, I want to get Sal going on one last thing on food. So, and this, this, this will be a good one folks. Uh, but Sal, don't you have to, uh, drink,
2: uh, this kind of stuff to avoid cramps? Well that we did touch on that. And that's been like a, 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 a triggering uh, in, issue for me. Cramps are caused by fatigue, not dehydration because these guys are drinking constantly and they're still getting cramps. So they're not, they're not dehydrated. Um, you have a whole other host of issues. I know athletes that don't tape their ankles on a day to day, but tape them on game day in certain sports. That, that results in cramps as well, as, uh, according to some of my uh, more knowledgeable colleagues. But the research is pretty clear that it's neuromuscular fatigue that is responsible for cramps.
0: Nice. That's a great point, so Hey, uh, Bull, we're going to move to you next now. Ironically, the gentleman. Colin, who asked your question, I think we're going to have to put him in the witness protection program as well because Colin's from Massachusetts and he was apparently watching the Yankee Cubs game uh, this past series, which I think is illegal in Massachusetts. So Colin asks, and this is a quote from Colin, not me, the idiot nerds are ruining the game. The Yankees Cubs series had extra inning game with a runner on second base and no outs. Could you please explain to my son and the rest of America's youth the right way to handle that situation, old school baseball style? Hashtag nerds are ruining the game. So,
1: well, there's there's numerous ways. Um, the good old fashioned sacrifice bunt, where the hitter gives himself up, doesn't try to bunt for a base hit, squares, has the bat at a, at the right angle to get the ball down, and have the uh, hopefully the third baseman or the pitcher handle the ball. To that side of the field, and that advances the runner to third base with one out. Now he has, and I think Jeff posted the uh, eleven ways to score from third with right, less and strikeout.
0: One of them, yes, strikeout is not.
1: Them. Yeah, exactly. The 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 K was not one of them. That's that's the one that I never see in any of the hundred and out of the hundred and. 80 to 200 games that I watch a year, and the 50 extra inning games that I've yet to see somebody sacrifice bunt with the pretend runner on second. Amazing. Over the last three, three or four years since they started that, uh, the other way is to 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 practice hitting the ball the other way. Um, back when I played and coached. We held our players accountable in batting practice to get two bunts down, one to the first base side, one to the third base side, hit and run, where you hit the ball hard the other way. You didn't play pepper, you hit it hard. You learned how to hit the ball hard. You let it get deep and you hit it hard. Um, If the pitcher's pitching you inside, then you can inside out that ball, but you can move the runner by hitting the ball the other way. Um, then uh, we had infield back, hit a ground ball. Anywhere in the infield, you score a run. Infield in, hit a fly ball to the outfield. If you executed those things, you then got your seven swings. If you didn't, the manager said, get out of there. Um, so guys were uh, were taught to do that, and they were capable of doing that, and everybody had to do it. Even, you know, even the guy who was going to hit home runs in the big leagues, you were hoping, and that's what your projection was, he still had to be capable because when he got to the big leagues, he wasn't going to be penciled in hitting fourth. He was probably going to be hitting seventh, and he might have to do that to help you win a game. So, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, if you're a manager and you really like the matchup, then maybe... Maybe you let somebody swing away, and you feel good that he's going to hit a gap or somewhere. Um, I'd like to just move the runner over and have two shots at driving him in. So let so me interject
3: too, uh, uh, Bull. Let the um, the nerd because I wrote about this, and of course I got some response from nerds saying, "Oh, you got to score two runs in that situation if you're the visiting team." By the way, the, the Cubs had three innings where if they scored one run, they win that game. It was the only game they're going to beat against the Yankees. They got slaughtered the rest of the series. They stink. They're a nerd team. It's hard to watch. They were 0 for – I think they were 0 for 18 or in runners in scoring position. They lost again last night. I saw they were 0 for 3. These teams are not being taught the right way. They're being taught by nerds who never played the game. They don't know how to move along, and this is what we're getting. And Unfortunately, the, you, your son is probably going to counter with, well, you know, the, in that situation, the numbers show you you have to score two runs to win. No, get one run. It's like Jack McKean told me years ago. If I get one run, they got to get two. If I get two runs, they got to get three. So I'm getting that first run to make sure they got to get two. And it's that simple. But like everything else with the nerds, they wanted both sides of the street. They moved the goalposts. And that's why the game stinks. And there's so many teams that stink.
0: No, I I agree. Wholeheartedly, Kevin, on that. Bo, now, you'd mentioned about first step, moving the runner second to third. Give us some of those things that, that you were talking about once the runner's on third. There's nine different ways you can score them. I mean, if they're into numbers, they would say nine ways to score a guy. You got a pretty good shot of punching them in if you can move them over. So touch on a couple of those for. Well,
1: for- no, um, you know, if the infield's in, hit a fly ball. You win the game. The Yankees would have won the game in the bottom of the inning, right? Um... If the infield's back um, and the other team says, well, I think we could score two runs, hit a ground ball to, to, to shortstop, deep in the hole, the runner scores. Yeah, If he's going – the infield's back, the third base coach should have the runner going on contact. You read the swing, they have no chance of throwing you out. Um, a wild pitch, traditionally a base hit, an wow. error. Um, a balk uh i don't i i can't remember off the top of my head all of them but certainly not a strikeout
3: well how about a swinging strikeout with a catcher's on one knee and he can't catch it
1: <laughs> well yeah yeah on a breaking ball in the dirt because he's yeah. on one knee and it gets by him so yeah well, I, uh, uh, I i have seen that happen numerous times recently it's called baseball folks yeah. and uh, get back to playing baseball
0: Yeah, and a great question by Colin for his son. And again, you're you're eligible for the witness protection program if you want to email me privately. Uh, We can put you in there for being a Massachusetts guy watching the Yankees. But great, great points, guys. Uh, We've got to play baseball. Okay, last question for me and you guys. Please jump in um, as you as you see fit. Uh, This is from Al from Toronto. I know exactly who this is from. He's baiting me right here, so I'm going to take the bait. Um, He said, "Dave, you've been involved with baseball." And currently involved in baseball all the way from the grassroots to the professional level. Could you please explain the state of parents nowadays and how you would handle them? Hashtag uh-oh. old school. So, um, uh-oh. Uh-oh. so I'm, I'm going to unleash on, on this a little bit. So two things. One, I think there's such an inertia for success nowadays. And, and Sal touched on it in your segment with the tournaments. We all hit on it. That we're forgetting and neglecting development with these kids. And it's total round development. My message to parents is, you know, coaches at the grassroots level have your kids for eight hours a week. You know, you've got them for the other 160. So you've got to reinforce what's going on in practice rather than detract from it, reinforce the messages. But I'll share a couple quick stories um, to kind of touch on what I think Al is getting to. Um, and I say this affectionately. I was, I'll was, i say I was 28 years old when I got my first Division One head coaching job. So I was a little young and dumb. I said something, but this was off the record. I was asked first my... What was my dream job, my dream head coaching job? And I responded, an orphanage. And the uh, reporter asked why, and this was off the record. I said, because there's no parents. No parents involved it would make it a dream job for me. Um, the uh, the other thing I did my first day on the job, I took over a losing program. This was at the college level now. And, and Kevin, you talked about the lawnmower parents, the ones that are mowing the lawn in front of the the new helicopter parent. They're clearing the path for their kids so they don't get they, so that they. You know, they're so fragile. we are so afraid of being having being spoke, exposed for mistakes. My first day as a head coach, I brought every parent in after I visited them at, at home. So I flew to their houses, brought them all to campus the first day, put them in the room. The team had won an average of five games in their Division One history. I put that on the board. And I said, I know for a fact that everybody in this room would much rather have your kid make all conference this year than us win 20 games and make the tournament. And everybody's like, no, 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 coach. We're behind you. We're behind you. No, no, no. And I said, nah, no, I was teasing. Don't you lie to me." And I said, "Okay, everybody, stand. Raise your hand. Who would rather see us win 20 games? And your kid may not play." They all raised their hands. I said, "Everybody, stand up. Who believes in that?" They all stood up. I took. And now this, this dates me now. I took out my Polaroid. I snapshotted the whole room. I pulled out the picture and I showed it to him. I said, "Great. This is going to go right by my phone. And the first one of you SOBs that calls me, complain about playing time. I'm going to look at it, smile, and I'm going to hang up on you." And then that was that was my first meeting with the parents. So. You can imagine the, the brashness of a 28. I probably wouldn't do that today. But uh, but um, I think another thing to do is I did this with a parent. This is a college-level parent now, high-ranking SEC official. I had that the kid on my team. I won't name the name. Um, was acting like a fool in the stands, yelling at the referees, probably probably yelling at me, um, yelling at whoever would listen. So I, I was notified by administration. I had my manager videotape him the entire game the next game. I brought him into my office to talk about his kid's development because he he always wanted to be in the know. And I put the again dating me. I put the VHS tape in and I, and I just let him watch. And it was all of him acting like a maniac on the um, off the field. And I just looked at him. I said, "I have two copies of this tape. I'm giving one to you, and you can do what you want with it. I'm going to keep the other one here." I said, "How how much would your office love to see you acting like that?" And he didn't well, want to. He didn't want to be that way. So. That's surfaced and he, the point was, was well-made and um, Kevin, you want to go ahead and jump in and I'll share my third one after, after you jump in.
3: Yeah, real quick, I want to point out too, that this is still going on in, in different ways. And all we had to do was watch Notre Dame, Tennessee, Tennessee. I think his name was Drew yeah. Gilbert. He, uh, he dropped a few F-bombs on the empire because he didn't like a pitch. And then he was stunned that he was ejected from the game. He missed the game. So his team was short. They won the game, but they had to, they went to game three down by four runs, he's on first base, there's a dirt ball, he runs the second base, down four, gets thrown out of second base by the catcher, who had a two-run homer, by the way, a New Jersey kid, and he's called out of second base. Ironically, the guy who called him out, and he was out, was the umpire that he dropped the F-bombs on. Baseball never forgets, don't screw with the baseball gods, try to show some class and character. I understand you can get upset, but find a way to get that
0: out without being a jerk. Oh, I agree totally. And I, I think that point leads me into to, to my last point with this. And I got brought in a week or so ago to watch an all-star group and they wanted me to talk to the group. So I, I went and watched them play first. I spent less time watching the kids and more time watching the parents. Absolute maniacs. So when I got brought in to speak, I asked all the parents to be there. And we ran the players through some small drill work. And then I brought the parents on the field and replaced the, the players with the parents. And I made them go through the drill work, and they struggled. They realized how hard it was. My point was, this game's really hard. And then I gave every player an index card with some indiscriminate comment to yell, and it was, go, throw it here, run. And as we started the next five-minute drill segment, I had all those players screaming at the top of their voice at their parents while they were trying to do little power feeds or you know, they were doing bunting, whatever the drill was. And after five minutes, I stopped it and I asked the parents, how was that? I said, baseball is a hard sport to begin with. And how was it? Was it any better when your kids were screaming that stuff at you? And they like all, you know, at one shake their head. Now you're dealing with doctors, lawyers, teachers, administrators, you name it. These are supposed to be intelligent people. Somehow youth baseball makes them lose their mind. And I said, this is what you are doing to your children out there. Nothing you can say on that side is going to be helpful to your child while they're doing that. The best thing you can do is cross your legs, clap your hands and keep your mouth shut. Pretty simple. Offer encouragement Mm -hmm. to your kids. Let your your coach coach them. They only can hear one voice at a time anyway, especially today's kids. They're all over the place. One voice, that's all they need to hear. And uh, I think it was well taken because I went back the next night to watch. It was a very pleasant – I asked the coach, he goes, this is the best game I ever had because the parents just shut up and clapped. That was it. And that's my message. That's my answer to to Al in Toronto. And I I, I know who Al is. I'm going to call him on this, but he was baiting me. He wanted me to tell that orphanage story. So hopefully the audience gets a kick out of it my immaturity as a 28 year old division one head coach. So Sal, you want to add on this?
2: Yeah. I just want to point out to the younger listeners that a Polaroid camera was an actual device that produced an actual picture <laughs> at the time you took it. So I just wanted to lay
0: that out there. That's awesome. That's a great disclaimer. Yeah. Cause I'll have no idea. My children asked me, how, how did you, what did you do with your iPad? I had to explain to them. They didn't even have email back when I was playing in college. So, um, great point. Sal. Well, maybe a little older today, but, um, Okay, I'd with that, guys. See, I'd
3: love to see Ty Cobb with an iPad. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> I'll to see him with a Twitter account. With that, he would. Uh, he'd, uh, he'd, I think he'd rival Jeff a little bit. But uh, so, guys, great mailbag segment. Let's move down into the the dugout right now, where we really make baseball IQs. We, we raise baseball IQs, and you know, Kevin, I'm, I always throw this to you to get us going with this. Forty-seven years in the press box. I'm just going to kind of keep it open-ended. What, what are you seeing out there right now in, in baseball? Well.
3: Yeah, one of the things I want to point out is leadership, the value of leadership, because leadership, for the most part, is no longer coming from the managers. They are just robots. Uh, They're nerd bots, and they do whatever the nerds tell them to do. There are some managers who are leaders. We know who they are. We've seen it on a daily basis. But So you need this leadership from within. You need it from a really good player, usually, and he has to have some guts. So I'm going to highlight this week – Everybody's talking about the Yankees doing so great. And you know what I think of Aaron Judge? And he, you know, all the home runs, 24 homers, and all that. So he's doing an unbelievable job on the field. But the guy I want to mention is Anthony Rizzo. And um, Anthony Rizzo, surprisingly, was not scooped up this year again as a free agent. He, he was out there for a while. But he's the difference maker to me in this Yankee lineup. And every team on any level could use an Anthony Rizzo because he holds the other players accountable. No, I'm seeing it from the outside, and that's what I've noticed with the Yankees. He's the guy they all mingle around. He's given Aaron Boone a backbone so Aaron Boone can be a better manager, and that's so vital, I think, in today's game. And I think um, I'm going to throw it to uh, Bull because Bull is – well, he's there all the time. He sees that, and I want his opinion of what a guy like Rizzo does for a team.
1: Yeah, uh, leadership's a huge thing, and uh, Anthony Rizzo is – is, a, uh, is just a tremendous leader. And there's, there's vocal leaders, which Anthony Rizzo is. And then there's quiet leaders, guys who just lead by example, which I think Aaron Judge is. Um, but Anthony Rizzo's not afraid to confront a teammate when that teammate needs to be confronted. And he's not afraid to meet anything head on. There's no fear. Uh, last year when he got traded over, uh, Luke Voigt was still on the DL, and uh, there was—I'm I'm sure you remember Kevin, and probably you do, Sal, because you're from the area. There was that friction there. Well, you know what Rizzo's going to play first, and I'm not going to DH every day. Well, what's the deal here? I was in the ballpark when uh, when he came back uh, when he came back to the, the club, and. Um, First thing Rizzo did was sit and put his arm around him and talk to him all day while they took ground balls at first base. He met he he met that head on. And Voit Voit went out that night. He DH'd. Rizzo played first. I think Voit hit a three-run homer and he was able to defuse what the organization and the manager probably couldn't have done. And that's a huge huge thing. And Anthony Rizzo's not afraid To go talk to a young pitcher when he needs it to to to, to give him a breather, he understands what's going on in the game, and that's a huge huge value on a team.
3: Is there a fine line too, Bull, where he has to uh, he has to you know not go overboard with that kind of stuff?
1: You know, I you know you have to be diplomatic because it is a teammate, but um, you know I, I think I shared a story with you. Kevin, where an older player who got traded to a playoff contender told the star on the team that that he was going to be on his behind every day and that if he didn't like it, that they would have to fight every day until he started playing harder. (laughs) And uh, that that probably doesn't happen today because the athletes are different. But that older player made a difference in that star, and he played harder the rest of his life, and his team won a World Series because of it that year.
0: Good stuff. I like that. I Got a question um, along those same lines now, Kevin. You mentioned you know the managerial decisions are often taken out of the manager's hand, even so far as the lineup card being done by the front office or you know one of the nerds that, that's hired to run the numbers. We just saw two very good managers get fired last week with Joe Madden and Joe Girardi. You know, is it fair that these managers are being held accountable for what's happening on the field when they're not necessarily making the decisions right down to what's going on in the field from the shifts? I liken it to being in a car with with a driver and you sitting in the back seat and him turning around every five seconds blaming you for getting lost. Um, what's, What's the state of the game in regards to that? And is it fair what's going on with these managers?
3: Well, it depends on the organization. But what I'm seeing is some organizations are going a little bit too much uh, nerd. And they and that's what happened with the Angels. I know they, they brought some people in. I'm not going to mention where they came from. But I know for a fact that they got a little more nerdy in the off season, And uh, those people were making those decisions kind of like tied in Joe Madden's hands. Now, there's all kinds of reasons for why a manager gets fired. I think Girardi is a little bit different because Dombrowski is trying to make it more of a baseball-centric organization. I think Joe had trouble, and I've known Joe well for many years. But the, the, what I'm hearing is that, you know, he, he didn't communicate with all the players as well as he could have. Mainly, mainly stood uh, stuck with, like, Riamuto and Harper uh, and some of the other guys weren't getting a lot of communication. I think you're seeing a guy like Rob Thompson come in. And Rob is a... Rob is a classic coach, been there forever, know him well, a real great worker, and he's more of a – he's a utility guy, so he understands what those players have to go through, so I think he's got a better lens of communication. So it, it, to answer the question, it's not fair, but in the end, the coaches or the uh, the managers are in charge of everything, and they need to fight back when they can and make it clear that they got to be in charge, and if they can't, then thats it's time to move on.
0: Uh, good point. Any, anybody else have something to weigh in on that one?
2: Well, I, no, I think good. what you have just in general is a lack of, of, of true accountability. You know, we've had the quick discuss not the quick discussion, this, the discussion about these injuries. How much have you read about any uh, self-assessment these organizations are doing uh to realize the blame is on them. Uh, no one is willing to take blame. It, it's happening across the board, not just in sports. Uh, we could see plenty of instances where there's some pretty concrete evidence uh, to counter the narrative, and yet it's not being acted upon. I think sports are no different at this point.
0: I think I think Bull hit on accountability during the, you know, we we're talking moving the runner over. They were held accountable during you know, yeah. batting practice. If you, if you right, you got seven swings. That that sounds like a theme to a lot of what we were talking about today. No,
1: yeah. you know, it, yeah. it 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 really is tough for managers now um, because there's so much input into the game. You know, the day of the manager running the team and running the game is lost, and uh, that's that that's a misfortunate thing because there are times where that manager's gut is not allowed to be used. He's told that he's got to make the move that he has to make. And um, then he ends up losing his job. So that does happen, and it's it's not a good place to be. I think the person that's in the dugout at the time of the game that's living with those players for 180 to 200 days a year with spring training he should be able to make all the decisions, and then then he can be truly held accountable for success and failure.
3: Let me just add Kevin, to yeah, I go back to Jack, uh, Jack and Keen on a lot of things, and Jack was very good about this. Um, Jack used, like, for example, the the they, game six Yankee Stadium World Series. The nerds at the time, and this was a long time ago 2003, uh, what three whatever. And uh, the nerds at the time wanted him to hold Beckett for game seven. He said, no, I'm going with Beckett in game six. I, w- I want to end it right now. He's ready. Yeah, he's going now. And, um, and, and he won, won the World Series, because Jack wasn't afraid to tell him, you know, get lost. And uh, Jack always tells me, always says, he's waiting for the first analytical department to get fired instead of a manager getting fired. But these people all hide behind things, and for the most part, the media is at fault here, too. They don't dig deep enough to find out where these decisions come from. And uh, so the combination of, you know, they have the best of both worlds. They're in charge. If things go wrong, it's not their fault. It's the
0: manager's fault. That's where we are. Yeah. Yep. Well, full disclosure here. I mean, I, I told you guys I have an advanced one of my advanced degrees is in analytics. And I'll tell you what, what goes on now. It's, I, I like to phrase it. It's called weapons of math destruction. I mean, they are. It's math formulas with no accountability. They won't tell you what's involved with it. How you're being judged, and they're they're, they're ruining lives right now with it. That's. Good. Boy, you were good.
1: No, no, that's that's tremendous. Uh, you know, tremendous uh, thing. You know, and I've heard people ask them questions. You know, you guys are really smart with math. Let me give you these numbers. You know. You know, for instance, uh, putting all this value on relievers, if you have five starters that go six to seven innings uh, over those five days, that's between 30 and 35 innings of the 45 that you need. So those other eight guys only have to provide you with 15, 10 to 15 innings. Uh, You know, do the math. (laughs) <laughs> you have a fresher longer deeper bullpen all year long if you can develop starters and we're we're going away from that we're you know we're we're deeming guys relievers right out of the shoot out of college and things it's doesn't make sense to me yeah
0: how did how did you determine relievers um before these analytic craze how did you determine a guy was a reliever
1: usually it was a guy who had trouble repeating his delivery and commanding, uh, commanding his stuff, but he had good stuff that he could come in and you could, you know, athletically, you know, have him have a strong inning or two. Uh, maybe he had two solid pitches and the third pitch wasn't as, uh, as good a pitch. He didn't have as good a command. Um, that ended up being the relievers, the guys who could repeat their delivery, that that could throw strikes and had three or four quality pitches. Those were the guys who were pushed into the rotation.
0: That sounds good. And, guys, great great segment today. Uh, I think our audience got smarter today. I know I did. We're building better baseball IQs bit by bit, and we're saving a lost generation one player at a time. I want our audience. I want to challenge our audience to go to a website, savethegame.com, and please sign that petition if you so choose. It's trying to get the ear of Major League Baseball to let the baseball guys come in and start developing players again. Uh, so, savethegame.com. Do that. Also, you can you can listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, Apple, or iHeartRadio. Listen. Like, share, please follow us. Um, it's really helping out. And again, this show is for you guys. Follow us on Twitter as well. You know our handle. Please read Kevin on ball9.com, AMBS underscore Kernan for his personal Twitter account. You can email us, coachingkernan at protonmail.com. I want to see tons of emails from the show. You'll drive next show. And again, save the day, save the game.com. Please go to that, sign that petition. We want to get the year of Major League Baseball.